0: Hey everyone, uh, Zook here, uh, this episode of, uh, Stolen Droids present was episode number four with, uh, the great author Larry Korea. This one's probably our most enjoyable interview we've ever done. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, make sure to go check out his books, Monster Hunter International and the Monster Hunter series. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by, uh, GoToMeeting with HD Faces, uh, GoToMeeting is always handy when you want to be able to meet with clients anytime, anywhere, and you just kind of can't actually get to the office or get to their place. Uh, We want you to try it, so try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, use the promo code PODCAST. Be sure to use the promo code PODCAST, because meeting is believing. And uh, now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to Stolen Droids Presents. This week we have a very special guest with us. Uh, We have Larry Correa, New York Times best-selling author of the Monster Hunter International and Monster Hunter series. Larry, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, um, most people are actually kind of surprised about your book, about your entire series of books, because I I know it was this way with me, and I'm sure it was this way with a lot of other people. They hear this book, Monster Hunter International, and they think, how come I haven't heard of this yet?
1: <laughs> but they must not be on the internet
0: much. No, no, this this new interwebs thing, it's very, very new. But can you give us a quick rundown of who you are and this awesome series of books you have?
1: Uh, well, uh, think of it as, uh, my, my, my quick pitch is, think X-Files meets the Expendables. It's um, kind of an action-adventure, um, supernatural thing. Thriller, horror, pulp series. It's about um, a group of people that are professional monster hunters, and they, it's their job. They get paid money to take care of monster problems. It's kind of my love song to B movies and gun nuttery and action adventure stuff. And uh, they, they, they've done really, really, extremely well. Um, uh, we have four books in the series now. Fourth one just came out, uh, national bestseller. Um, it, it's the Monster Hunter series has done really super good for me. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. I, I recommend people check them out.
0: I, I would too, actually. I, I I should mention I haven't let him speak yet, but Zoner is on
2: this as well, and he's been reading it. Yes, I, I am, and you know I, I got to say I'm having a tough time putting these books down, Larry. They <laughs> uh, you know it, it's it's not just the story. I I think that that grabs me, but it's how you tell the story. You know your your style of writing is. Really easy to read, but it's it's kind of, very um, gripping. Kind of it, yeah, it. that that's the word. Very gripping. It's you just pull me in. It, it very well done. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that, guys. Yeah,
1: I uh, I like writing. I like writing fun stuff. You'll never catch me writing, you know, message fiction. Um, there's no heavy-handed themes. There's no, you know, dying polar bears and that kind of thing. It's it's just straight-up action, fun. I want people to just be... Oh, it's, my phone is ringing in the background. Forgive me.
0: Awesome. This is a first for us. We finally have reached that point that someone's phone is ringing in the set.
1: <laughs> oh, I hope my wife gets that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I you are absolutely it, fine. Otherwise, I'd answer it.
0: <laughs> well, now, while, while that's ringing, um, the first one, Monster Hunter International, MHI, started off, I understand... It, you weren't intending to write the next great American novel.
1: No, actually, what happened was I, I, I wrote this book. Um, I was participating on an internet gun forum, and uh, it was just a bunch of guys having fun, and, and uh, there was a joke thread called lines I'd like to hear in a horror movie someday. And um, what it was, was, you know, usually in horror movies, it's a bunch of dumb teenagers who just get murdered. And so, what we had done is we had taken like, all the traditional monster movie, B-movie tropes, and we replaced the stupid teenagers with a bunch of our people, you know, like hardcore gun nuts. And it was just hilarious. And this one guy had a, had a line, and it was my favorite one in there, and it was, um, the, you know the difference between me and you really is? You look out there and see a horde of evil brain-eating zombies. I look out there and see a target-rich environment. <laughs> and uh, that just grabbed me, and, and that was when the idea for Monster Hunter was born. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take all the monster movie, all the horror movie stuff, only having, I wanted to, re, you know, have really smart protagonists, and that's why I don't say that I write horror, because really horror is based on how your protagonists react, and uh, my protagonists don't cower, you know, I don't really write victims, I write butt kickers, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it, it really caught on, I guess there's a lot of people out there like me who watch horror movies and get frustrated, like, why don't you just shoot the dang thing? And, uh, it, so it's done really good, I think because of that. And I, I've been shocked that I actually have a really big audience is I, I'm still kind of wrapping my brain around that. I, 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 originally for an audience, I thought, you know, young guys, gun nuts, military guys. Um, next thing I knew I had, um, big success in every market, you know, women, uh, eat teenagers. <laughs> it was kind of a shock. Um, I knew I knew it was gonna be. It was gonna do okay, and I could actually build a career on this. And I got my first five-star review um, from a sixty-five-year-old grandma on Amazon, and it <laughs> out, and she goes, "I don't like guns. I don't like monsters. I don't like action. I don't like blood and guts. But I love this book. It was so great."
0: Well, now back to that quote, the target-rich environment. I'm actually holding my copy of MHI right here.
1: Yep, I opened. I opened it with that quote.
0: And yeah, it, it's it's right here at the very beginning. And I kind of wondered about that. Going, I wonder if this is a character in the book. Maybe I'll no, read. No,
1: Dillis is a Dillis <laughs> was a guy on that web forum.
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Now, now I know where that comes from. But um, I would say you would probably treat the genre with a, a heavy hand of intelligence. Um, and and now looking back and, and remembering. I wonder how many quotes uh, I'm gonna ask how many quotes came from that gun form because there's a lot of good lines in this
1: movie um, and it's
0: in this I say movie it's a book it's a movie Kind, in my of, head.
1: A, kind of a handful um, maybe maybe three or four in the whole thing. Um, just I, I guess I' I've, lo- I've watched a lot of monster movies in my day and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I associate with really funny people and so I, I mean there's a lot of good lines in there. Uh, One thing is my background's in uh, military uh, contracting, and I was a uh, firearms instructor for about 10 years. And so I have associated with a lot of really, you know, tough people that have had really hard jobs. And one of the things I've discovered is that really the harder and more dangerous the job, the better your sense of humor. And um, often the darker the sense of humor. So in Monster Hunter, I've got these guys with this really stupidly dangerous job. So um, they're funny. I mean, they're just funny people, and they're they're. It, I, I I like trying to cram a lot of humor into into relatively dark books.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, now uh, we need to. I need to take a time out here and give a shout out to our other co-host, Schmitty. He couldn't join us. He really wanted to join us, Larry. Um, I'm your your longtime fans are going to listen to this. Well, I hope they're going to listen to it. Uh, and go. This guy's not a fan. He only picked up the book a couple months ago, and it's true. It was actually recommended to me by a coworker, and it was exactly like I started off this interview with. He's like, "You haven't heard of this book? You <laughs> must get this book. Look, look!" And he pulls it up. It's at the Barnes and Noble down the street. Go there on your lunchtime. It's <laughs> and a good so I, And I did, and I and I picked it up, and I immediately, I told Zahner I told Zoner here to get it. I told Schmitty to get it. Schmitty writes me back and says. I don't like monster books. I don't. I don't like the genre. I don't like monsters. I don't like werewolves or vampires or zombies. I think it's kind of dumb. Like, trust me. Do it anyway. So he got the audiobook. He's now two and a half books into your series. <laughs> <laughs> I only managed to get past your first book, and it's it's a pretty thick book.
1: Oh yeah, man. I, that's the thing. I am completely incapable of writing short books. Um, whenever we go to the bookstore, my wife and I will see. We'll walk by the young adult section. And there's all these little skinny, like, 80,000-word books. And I write these big, you know, 160,000, 170,000-word books. And she'll look at me and she goes, you are so in the wrong business.
0: (laughs) So uh, (laughs) people out there in podcasts, on audience members, uh, you get a good value for Larry's books.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Because, you know, I get paid the same either way, but I keep churning out really thick books. In fact, that's actually why uh, selling my first one was so hard, was it was too long. I I didn't realize that at the time. But really, for the the genre that I'm lumped in with, a book should be about hundred to 120,000 words, and Monster Hunter is close to 200,000 words. So um, I got rejected by pretty much everybody in the publishing industry uh, mm-hmm. when I first started out.
0: Well, and that's a shame, too. I mean, I know it sounds like we're just gushing and buttering you up, but I cannot say enough good things about this first book, and I eagerly look forward to reading the second. But I'm behind, aren't I? Because you have... You have quite a few out there.
1: Well, in the last... I've been doing this for four years now, uh, or been published for, I guess, five years now. I have um, four books in the Monster Hunter series. Uh, Monster Hunter Legion just came out in September. I've got two books in what's called the Grim Noir Chronicles, um, which are an alternate history uh, fantasy set in the 1930s, kind of a hard-bo- hard-boiled Great Depression superheroes, and... Um, I've got one book uh, that's a military thriller called Dead Six, and uh, written with Mike Coopery. And it's just a hardcore mercenaries versus thieves uh, during a violent military coup in a third world country. And it's great. It's a lot of fun. So I've got actually um, seven books out right now, and I have 18 more under contract. Um, uh, It's across five different series and a couple standalones.
2: Excellent. Eighteen under contract, so you're going to be busy for like the next two, three years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a workaholic, but I'm not that fast. Um, I, I do about two to three books a year. Okay. So I mean, I, I can't help it. I'm a, I, I'm not one of those creative artiste kind of writers. I'm more, you know, I grew up on a farm. I'm a, you know, I kind of have a work ethic. I I'm an entertainer, and my job is to entertain people, and my you know, so I write stories to do that. So I'm not one of those. You know, writes a book every four or five years and collects prestigious literary awards kind of guys. I, uh, I just want to write books, and as long as you guys are enjoying them, I'm going to keep writing them.
0: Well, that's going to be a while then, because uh, we enjoy them greatly. I do have a bit of a bone to pick with you. Sure. Um, while reading this book, I don't think I got to sleep before 3
1: a.m. <laughs> One of the best compliments I get is people who email me and they're just cursing me. Because they like read the book in one sitting, and they got to go to work in the morning. That yeah.
0: is just best. It, it, this first one is like seven hundred and twenty-three pages long.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, there, there's actually been multiple nights. Well, Zook was telling me the other day that he read like four hundred pages in one night. But I I, I read it on my phone um, through Kindle, and I, I'm there reading at eleven thirty, twelve o'clock at night, and I get up at like five o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden, I'll wake up, and my phone is laying on the floor next to my bed, and I've fallen asleep reading, and I'll pick it up, and I'll, okay, where was I? And I'll just keep reading. I mean, it's,
1: <laughs> it's insane, man.
2: Well, and, 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 I've
1: got, you know, I've ruined careers, ruined marriages. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, and it has actually been that way. Uh, Zahner and I will be chatting online during the day at work. How are you today? I'm dead. MHI? Yeah, MHI. <laughs> Me too.
1: <laughs> I got an email one time from a guy who's in Iraq, and um, he was uh, he was there on the, on this uh, forward operating base, and he's reading Monster Hunter, and they came under a mortar attack. So mortar shells start falling, and uh, they, they sound the alarm, and everyone's supposed to get up and go to the, the bunker. And he was so pissed, because it's too dark to read the bunker. <laughs> so mortar shells are going off, and he's like, damn it! I'm, oh, sorry, I'm no casual friend. He's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so close to the end. I've only got like 50 pages left."
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I did actually feel that way a few times, and I just got to get to the end of the chapter. Got to get to the end of the chapter. Ooh, new chapter. Yeah. Oh crap! <laughs> it's like, then I'm into the next. Yeah, like, yeah
1: I, I, you know, I, 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 I That is, I love, I love that, and it's a good compliment. And I. I've gotten that with uh, pretty much all my series, all, all three of the series I have out right now. That people tend to read them in just one or two, one or two or three sittings, maybe. And uh, you know what? That for me, for the kind of books I write, that is just the best compliment. I I I absolutely love to hear that.
0: Excellent. Well, we we love to give you those compliments. Not undeserved. They totally deserve them. Um, I want to touch back on kind of the origin of the entire series. You said it was on a gun forum, a gun fan forum, and then yeah, you yourself it has
1: on a-, a page called the Firing Line,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, thefiringline.com, and then um, actually another page called thehighroad.org. Uh, because I originally, you know, I self-published the original Monster Hunter before I got my original, before I got my first publishing contract, and I actually sold it to an audience of gun nuts. So a lot of people are like, "Wow, there's just so much gun nuttery," especially in the first book. Um, but what they don't realize is um, that was actually a strategic uh, career move. I did that on purpose because it was my target audience. Yeah, um,
0: well, and what's funny is the fact that I am not a gun nut. I know it's sacrilege. Uh, I'm one of those people who does not own a gun in the house.
1: Oh, no, no, that's not a problem. It's just that was, <laughs> that was who I was writing for. But, and uh, so when you do get to those sequences, especially in the first book where there's a lot of gun nuttery, um, that was a strategic marketing decision on my part.
0: Well, and what's funny is the fact that, and like that 65-year-old grandma reviewer, and like myself and like uh, Schmidt, our friend, even though I'm not into guns... I loved the detail you put in there. I'm reading it, and in that first chapter, I mean, the entire freaking series starts off with him throwing his boss out of a 14-story window. (laughs) I love that scene. And shooting him repeatedly in the head. And the detail you give on the guns might put some people off. And to them, I would say this. uh, The detail you put into your fight sequences actually really help ground the reader and give them... It helps them associate more with the main character with Owen, with Z.
1: Well, one thing I do get a lot of, I mean, I get a lot of, um, positives on, and I've actually kind of garnered a bit of a reputation in the writing community amongst other writers that I'm, I've kind of become a go-to guy for action sequences. Um, even though I I am a pulp writer and proud, I I do take some pride in, you know, you know, writing quality stuff. And, uh, I, um, I, I was nominated for the Campbell award for best new author last year. And, um, I've kind of got this reputation for action stuff, for, for just visceral, um, you know, violent sequences. I, I'm really, that's, that's probably my, my single best talent would be that, um, that kind of thing, which, which is good. I mean, I guess that's just, that's the kind of stuff I like to read. And so I suppose that's just kind of what draws me to writing that kind of stuff. And plus I have the, I have, a. You know, the career background, because I, I, I taught self-defense for so many years and and worked with so many people who had that kind of, you know, you know violent jobs and I had to get so much training myself on it. You know, it, it, if you have that kind of experience, you can kind of cross that over. So even if you're not into that kind of thing, I think if you read the scenes, it, it, it comes across And part of my problem with like the whole monster movies and, and B movie genres is kind of the Buffy syndrome where you get a group of just utterly clueless people at the beginning of the movie, and then, like, by the end of the movie, they're, like, kung fu fighting super vampires. You know, there's, no, there's no training. There's no, you know, they, they open up the trunk of the car. There's, like, sharpened stakes and a crossbow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wanted to write something from the perspective of people who actually, you know, are, are tactically minded. So, for example, I mean, I get emails from people who are, you know, over, I have a lot of military readers. But I get emails from guys that are overseas, and they're like, "Wow, yeah, man! If monsters are real, this is totally how we do it." And you know that just that just makes me happy when I hear that because that means that I've done my homework.
2: Yeah, d- definitely, uh, you you have done your homework. Um, it, it comes across. You know, one thing that I thought was awesome as I was uh, in one of the early chapters in in MHI in in the first one in the series, you talk about you actually mention. Um, one gun specifically, the Browning Buckmark. And when I read that, that that's actually one of my absolute favorite guns to shoot. Um, I've, got a, I've got a couple. And, you know, I, I've got a cop buddy, and he told me one day, he pulled his out showing me his guns, and he's all, you know, this is the best gun because it's heavy and it fires like a, like a big gun, but it's cheap because it's a .22, so you can shoot it all day long and it doesn't make you go broke. But as I read that, I thought, wow, this guy knows his stuff. I <laughs> I mean he's talking up this awesome handgun. This guy has done his homework. He he knows his stuff that he's he's writing about, so yeah, well, I thought that was cool.
1: In in the in the Grim Chronicles, the first book is hard magic, I have John Browning, because uh, it's set in the nineteen thirties. John Moses Browning is a character and I actually made him a gun wizard. Uh John, John Browning is a gun mage in this series. And uh oh, now, there's man.
0: a class I don't remember from D and D.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hey! Speaking of gaming, uh, I, I'm a huge, huge nerd, uh, huge gamer. I love gaming. Um, I'm actually writing on a. Pro- I'm writing a project right now. I can't. I can't. Say, I'm in an, under an NDA, but I'm actually writing for a game company. Um, uh, something for them that's kind of cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, I've got my own role-playing game coming out uh, next year. It's a uh, uh, with uh, the Champion Systems. I, I'm doing it with uh, Hero Games. And we're actually doing. It's for Monster Hunter International, and we're actually doing. It's called the Monster Hunter International Employee Handbook and Role Playing Game. And we're running a Kickstarter right now for the whole sold. month. of...
0: Just on that. Just on that name. Sold.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the idea was I've you know I've got a lot of fans that are gamers. I got a lot of fans that aren't gamers. But we wanted to offer something for both of them. So it, think of it as a. If you're just a Monster Hunter fan but you're not a gamer, it's a great big, you know, 350-page hardcover, um, really nice fully illustrated, full-color Monster Hunter book filled with just tons of history and stories and original fiction by me and just a bunch of fluff. But it's also uh, a role-playing game manual, so if you want to play a Monster Hunter International game, you can. And uh, we actually funded the Kickstarter. It was was a $45,000 goal uh, to fund the Kickstarter, and we actually hit that in the first four days. So um, the Kickstarter is funded.
2: Yeah, it's actually
1: done really well. We are on track to do pretty darn good. Um, we're up over fifty uh, some thousand dollars now. We are um, just doing as many stretch goals as we can. So the more we sell, the more cool stuff we will be to give people. Um,
0: now, now quickly, how how long does that Kickstarter go through to? Is there an end point on it, or and it they... goes to
1: the end of October?
0: Okay, and how can people find that link? Is but, it on your website, or
1: yeah? If you go to if you go to um, just Kickstarter dot com and just put in Monster Hunter, you'll find it. Or if you go to my blog, it's uh, because my last name is spelled funny, <laughs> people have a hard time with it, um, just put uh, Monster Hunter International or Monster Hunter Nation into your search engine, into Google, and uh, I'll be the first thing that pops up.
0: We'll also have links in the show notes for anyone who comes by StolenDroids.com. It'll be right there, so we'll link to you as well.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I blog I blog a lot. Um, I don't recommend my blog for the easily offended You know, uh, oftentimes advice to new writers is, um, you know, keep kind of your opinions to yourself because you don't want to offend potential readers. Um, However, I'm completely incapable of doing that, so just be warned.
0: Well, uh, I I did actually notice that because I I went to Monster Hunter Nation and and you almost have like online workshops on new and aspiring writers. People will ask you questions and you have these huge dissertations, like good ones, on what People should do when they're starting out.
1: Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I spent so many years as an instructor. Um, even though I was teaching firearms and self defense, I was teaching adults, and so I understand how adults learn. So now that I'm an author and I've got actually, you know, I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of um, good experiences and a lot. Of, I've learned a lot doing this. I, I try to pass that on, and I try to pass it on in a manner that's entertaining that you know adults will retain it. So, I mean, I do have essays. People will email me questions all the time, and um, I'll try to answer them. But usually what happens is I will kind of start expounding and pontificating on whatever they ask me, and it'll turn into just a giant essay. So I'll go ahead and post it on the blog. Um, So if you go over to Monster Hunter Nation and uh, you click on the Best Of tab, I, I have all of those under a section called Ask Korea just because, you know, people just keep asking me stuff. I actually haven't done one for a while. I have several that I need to. That people ask me questions, I haven't been able to respond to them. But, um, you know, I, I do uh, a lot of conventions and writing symposiums and things of that nature. So, I, I mean, I'm getting questions from people all the time. Uh, and if I don't know the answer to a writing question, I could probably at least point you in the direction of somebody who, who does do it well. Um, who might be able to answer, answer anybody's question. So I, I'm glad to help aspiring writers, uh, however I can.
0: One one question I, I re- remember reading, someone had asked you for help in a sci-fi. They wanted to know, when writing a sci-fi, how do I write about the guns? Because oh, yeah, I got, you, that was a
1: great
0: one. That was a great one. Sure. And you actually opened it up to a lot of other people.
1: Well, because I have... One thing about my blog readership, I, I actually get a lot of hits. Um, I mean, I've got about 10,000 individual readers at any given time. So... Um, you know, every day is about three or 4,000 different people. And, um, so I have a lot of really well-educated, very, very intelligent people on there. So on a question like that, I mean, I've got bona fide PhD astrophysicists and, um, you know, chemists and, and just really, really smart people. So I opened up kind of like, yeah, you know, you guys give me your feedback about, you know, science fiction weaponry. And, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. I got guys on there who work for DARPA giving us feedback on sci-fi weapons because that's what they do wow. for a living.
0: Yeah, they're a little bit they're, – they're Milo. They're an entire department full of Milo.
1: Oh, my gosh, yeah. we. <laughs> my, my blog astounds me. One time – just to give you an idea. Uh, I love I – love I call them the Monster Hunter Nation. Um, my fans are amazing. One time um, I got into this, like um, – You know, I was an accountant for many years. I got my degree in accounting and as a finance guy. And uh, so I'm very opinionated on on money matters. And so one time I was kind of talking about some economics issues. And this guy gets on and he's a Ph.D. economist professor at some university. And he starts going off about how I'm wrong. Well, within 30 minutes, this other Ph.D. economist professor jumps on and starts arguing with him. And so I had this great big fight between these two doctors (laughs) of economics and they both whipped out their resumes and their credentials and, and to like you know bash the other guy. It was, it was pretty amazing. I I've got some
2: really smart readers. It's kind of scary actually. So um, does that kind of thing happen often to you or where? you yeah, I, will <laughs> I
1: have some surprise. I mean, I have surprising fans. Um, people who who have just it's, it, it just reminds me how much i research i need to do before i write a book and if it's any topic i'm not familiar with i need to get it right because i can guarantee that somebody reading this book um knows exactly what i'm talking about and will call you know call bs on it the second i screw something up so um uh, yeah i have some shockingly well-informed readers especially, okay, like on the military thrillers um, on Dead Six, I mean, I did my homework. I'm a pretty sharp guy on this kind of thing. I'm know i pretty well informed on, on, you know, tactical matters and my co-author on that book actually is, uh, he's a vet, he's a a, a EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal guy, so, you know, remember the movie The Hurt Locker? The guy's walking around in big bomb suits? Mm -hmm. That's what Mike does. I mean, so he's got the single most dangerous job you can have in the military, and so Mike, you know, Mike knows this stuff, and so you know, we wrote this military thriller, but we were like, by golly, we are going to get every detail right. I've got a, a proofreaders, and so we sent out to tons of proofreaders. I have this one guy. Uh, I won't say who it is, but he um, he's basically a real-life Jack Bauer. Like, if you looked at his resume, he is Jack Bauer, I and mean, that's what he does. Um, he is a no-kidding bad mamba-jamba, all right, so for the U.S. government. And so I, I ran it past him. And we were thinking, you know, we're going to be pretty, we're going to be pretty good, we be pretty accurate. He comes back with eight pages of notes on the manuscript, as far as things that we could have done better or, or things that we got wrong. And it was some obscure stuff that if you don't do this kind of thing for a living, you would just never ever realize. And uh, so I, I am really big on using my fans and my fan base's knowledge to make sure I get stuff right.
0: Well, it it, it works. It, Do you find, I'm assuming kind of like the physics and the military tactics and the weapons, you kind of got that covered. Do you have a lot of fans helping to contribute to, I mean, the monster lore? Again, I'm only one book in, but you were talking about some monsters, and I'm going, okay, I remember that from, like, Lovecraft. I remember that from, like, a TV show. I've never heard of that. And I'm sitting there, it's 2.30 in the morning. We're talking about the Humboldt folk.
1: Oh, man, yeah, those I made up. And
0: and, and and I'm immediately like, oh, what are they? Oh, he doesn't even... We don't even get to see them. And I'm, like, hitting my phone for a Google search. And, you know, I, I scare easily. I get one thought in my head. I'm having nightmares all night. Worse,
1: Man, that scene was creepy, too. And, and
0: I am actually yeah. voluntarily going out to the web to look for these horror creatures.
1: Because <laughs> they were so creepy. And they were even creepier because we never saw them. I went, I went full-on horror for that sequence. Um... You know, okay, in the Monster Hunter universe, a lot of the monsters are just completely made up by me. I mean, I just come up with them entirely. A, a lot of them are from folklore or myth or legend. I am a huge folklore nut. I love, um, I absolutely love legends and stuff from all around the world. I, I devour those any chance I get. Um, some are just, you know, pop culture um, references. Some are, you know, uh, basically all the classic movie monsters are show up at some point in Monster Hunter. Um a lot of the really strange ones that, that, that are referenced in there are, are usually myth and folklore and a lot of times, um, you know, not from Europe or North America. So they're not as familiar to, to American readers. Um, and I get all the time uh, fans from all over the world who will email me and they'll be like, oh, hey, have you ever heard of a such and such? And it will be some legend from their home country. And uh, so then, inevitably, I'll go off and research it and find out what I can about it. And it, it's, you get a lot of really good ideas that way. Um, uh, in the next book, I've got quite a few things um, referenced that, uh, well, I mean, just uh, information, uh, monsters from all over the world, basically. I, I just, um, I bring in some really obscure ones. And sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll just craft one because it's, I want to do something different or original or I've got an idea I want to screw around with. Or there's just not anything that I'm aware of that actually fits what I want to do in the plot. So I'll just kind of make something up. You know, it's actually a really fun job.
0: (laughs) Well, um, I I do have to say, uh, as a Japanese person, if I can give you one bit of advice, stay away from our monsters. They're all really messed up.
1: Oh, man, I love Japanese mythology. You guys have got some... Awesome monsters. There, I remember
0: one. There is a there's a Japanese ghost or monster that manifests itself as a door. It's a door monster, and you know, it blocks travelers' like, paths.
1: It, it, it's uh, it, you know, it's just eyeballs that look at you through ripped paper walls. Yeah, <laughs> which is. Creepy, I do. I you do know? reference the only Japanese one I reference uh, directly is in the third book. I have something that's referred to as oni, but more of the more because that was just a kind of a catch-all term for a demon. and um, but, but Basically, they were a little bit of everything in, in those particular monsters, but uh, I haven't done too much with Japanese mythology yet.
0: I, I would advise you not. You're going to be banging your head into your computer trying to figure out a way to make it work.
1: <laughs> oh, man, there's so many weird ones. Though I do I do at one point in the future have a Kappa. I do have a Kappa. Ooh. So, um, yeah, I... I, I there, there's a lot of really awesome stuff out there to draw from I tell you lately it's been um, I've been studying up on Indonesian and Filipino monster lore. Holy moly that is some scary scary stuff they they go full-on horror and bloodshed in their monsters I mean Eastern Europeans have nothing on the Philippines.
2: Jeez. <laughs> I, I actually, I've I've never heard of a kappa, so I just Googled it real quick. I, I found a drawing of one. Wow, that's that's messed up, dude. Sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. Dang Japanese. Yeah, um, I
1: love my job. And then, uh, you said you mentioned Lovecraft earlier. I do. Have, I I draw on Lovecraftian elements. Um, I grew up on Lovecraft. Thought it was great. Actually, I share a birthday with H.P. Lovecraft. Um, oh wow. Yeah, which is kind of awesome. I didn't even know that. And uh, until I started doing this for a living. And, uh, so I do get Lovecraftian monsters there. One of that is great because when Lovecraft was writing, he was considered pulp, uh, you know, back in the twenties and thirties, he was considered a pulp author. And so a lot of the literary types looked down on him. Now over time it's kind of evolved and now he gets a lot of respect in literary circles and a lot of the literati hoity toities don't like me because I'm pulp and proud. Well, uh, one time I was getting this negative review and, um, this is what this review said. It was my favorite negative review ever. And it said, Though Larry Correa uses Lovecraftian elements, he's no H.P. Lovecraft. He's really more of a modern Robert E. Howard. And he said that as an insult. He was trying to insult me by comparing me to Robert E. Howard, the guy that invented Conan.
0: The very fact that we know who, <laughs> we know who that is means that he was a success.
1: Exactly. I was he's- like, wait, well, wait, wait, wait. You're saying that as a negative? You know, I actually, I actually want to take that because like I hey I know who the reviewer is. He hates my guts. I want to take that quote and put it on the cover of a book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he is that the next. Be, that would <laughs> be awesome. I, I, you I totally a lot of should. Just out of spite. <laughs> you totally
0: should. I would. You. Uh, what I would. You know, I've always kind of wondered if only I was like a movie producer or an author and I got a really crappy review because you know what a lot of. You know, you go to like a, a movie and it has like the really, really, really bad reviews. You know it was bad reviews, but they took quotes from the critics anyway and just added the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and were able to completely rephrase and entirely, this was the worst movie ever made. Ever since Jeelee, have we been fearing a worse movie and now it has happened. And somehow they managed to turn it with uh, a judicial use of dot, dot, dots throughout the entire thing. <laughs> This movie, good. Been waiting for it forever. You should totally take that guy's reviews, put it right there on the cover.
1: Well, I, you know, that's a, every creative person, um, has to. doesn't matter how good or bad you are, as, as a creator, you have to get used to the bad reviews. Because, I mean, you could be the best, most creative person ever, someone's going to hate your stuff. And uh, so you just kind of get used to it. And luckily for me, I have a really thick skin, so I usually have a lot of fun with them.
0: Well, and, and uh, you're all, you, you're also kind of this little thing known as a New York's Times bestseller. I think that kind of speaks for itself.
1: Well, I tell you, actually, there is a lot of prestige connected with that, which is is kind of fun. And uh, it, it, for an author, it's it's just kind of a milestone when when you when you get that title. And um, you know, it's not that to me, it's not. Honestly, it doesn't mean like I'm, I'm, I'm better or anything. It just means I sold a lot of books at one time. But um, it does give you a certain prestige. And, and actually, um, it wasn't until I got on that New York Times bestseller list that I started getting more foreign language translation deals. And actually, after that, I, I sold my I sold the rights for a Monster Hunter TV show. Um, and that all happened after I got into that bestseller list and started getting attention.
2: No. Hold on. We, we got a TV show coming?
1: Well... Uh, i sold the options to a company called Entertainment One. It's the same company that does The Walking Dead on AMC. Ooh. However, oh. they haven't done anything with it yet, and you know, Hollywood's weird, so just because you sell the rights to something doesn't necessarily mean they'll make the movie. It would be yeah. a TV show.
0: It would be nice if we could get an MHA reference in Walking Dead.
1: Oh, i take it.
0: That, <laughs> that, I think that would... I don't. I, I. I. I don't watch Walking Dead. I'm the only one on the in the world. I'm pretty sure. I think well, my kids watch it, and I don't. But because you're
2: terrified of zombies.
0: I am. I'm terrified of zombies. Uh, and also, I missed like the entire first season, and I just haven't caught up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it's their they're quality. I mean, the, the guys do really good work. So I just personally have my fingers crossed that they'll actually they'll actually make this. So. Um, that would be really awesome. And in worst case scenario, they make a TV show and it's horrible. But you know, what do people always say whenever there's a bad TV show? They always say the book was better. So um, you know, I will take even a bad TV show if someone wants to make one about my stuff.
0: Now, I, I say I say, people of the internet, let's get behind this because if anyone can make it happen, it's the internet. let's get let's get Z and his team walk on. Cameos in an episode of of Walking Dead.
1: <laughs> I mean, hey, they own the rights to both.
0: It'd be awesome.
2: That that would be awesome. I, I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. I'm just sitting here envisioning. I go into withdrawal after the Walking Dead season. Oh, you should ends. hear him. It's bad. It, oh, it, it's horrible. I like get the shakes, and it's a good thing they got a monthly comic because that's like what keeps me going. But um, and I'm not a big horror fan, which is odd too. But you know, I could just imagine monster hunter international on the sunday after walking dead finishes get me through till walking dead starts again i mean it would I, be
1: i'd be so good fun to have a tv show I, I i i would just be giddy um i mean you guys know jim butcher the the dresden files yes yes well i mean jim butcher great author great guy um you know the tv show they did for the dresden files it only lasted like one season it, it wasn't it, as good as the books no, not even close. But but the thing is, everybody everybody says that. And what's happened for him was um, his sales of, of the Dresden Files novels really took off after the TV show came out. Um, just because people, you know, it's like it's an hour long commercial being watched by a million people at a time. So, I mean, for a writer, if you can get some stuff on TV, it's amazing. Um, well, for example, my last book came out, and it drove me absolutely nuts because. Uh, According to the Nielsen book scan, I was the number 13 best-selling fantasy novel in the country, and um, number three in hardcover, and the kicker was, of those 11 that were ahead of me, seven were Game of Thrones, or were various Game of Thrones George Martin books, and, uh, you know, show on HBO, you just can't touch that as an author. Um, it, it, that's really hard to break through, and just to reach that many people, unless you have that kind of media exposure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, that would just be epic. I would love
0: that. Now, now that I, my, my brain's spinning on it now, I'd like to see the MHI team also have a walk-on on True Blood. That would be hilarious. Because <laughs> like, in that show, they're the heroes. The, the yeah, vampires actually, that, are the that,
1: that heroes. The finale. Actually, that would be the series finale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've mean, awesome. met Charlene Harris, and she's really super She's super nice. And she actually, uh, she actually read and really liked the first Monster Hunter novel. Um, and Jim Butcher actually read and really liked the first Monster Hunter novel. So I've got a lot of people who like the book who are on TV. So, uh, you know, hey, fingers crossed. <laughs>
0: see, we don't get any of our of our idols ever saying they listen to our show. Oh, yeah. sad. never know.
1: I actually, uh, some, sometimes things will surprise you. Um, uh, Ted Nugent. I got, I got a picture hanging out with Ted Nugent, you know, sporting a Monster Hunter patch. Nice. Uh, you know, so you never know who's going to read your stuff or, or see your stuff. It's like you can die happy then. Yeah, I mean, I got to hang out with Ted Nugent and he's, you know, rock and roll superstar and he's liking my stuff. That's kind of awesome.
0: Now, what I find kind of interesting, I say funny, but it's not funny haha, just funny huh, is that you got into the New York Times bestseller list. And not that the New York Times necessarily has anything to do with choosing which Books will be chosen to be on the bestseller list. They're taking, like you said, who sells the most books.
1: Well, it's a little weird. They actually have a, it's kind of a, it's kind of secret how they do it because it's not all the books in America. It's not all the book sales in America. They have certain secret stores. I think there's about 160 or 180 of them. They report to the New York Times. Um, And it's all about your velocity. So it's how fast you sell them. Like, for example, if you have a book come out and you sell 1,000 copies a week for 52 weeks for a whole year, You know that's a lot of books, but you'll never make the New York Times. You can have a book come out and sell 20,000 copies in week one and then never sell another copy. It will make the New York Times. So even though the first book sold more books, it never gets on there. second book did get on there, interesting. if that makes sense. Well, it, so it doesn't, but that. it's interesting. It's really weird, and it's it's not the most accurate thing in the world, but it's the most prestigious one. Mm-hmm. So I I don't get it. <laughs>
0: well, I I just find it interesting because typically, when people think of a monster book on the New York Times bestseller, someone is sparkling, or you know, <laughs> oh, it's it, we, Americans have this huge love obsession with the misunderstood monster. Yeah, and
1: paranormal and romance really kind of took over horror there for a while, and and we, this uh, is
0: completely the opposite. In fact, you had a character in the first book, uh, a governor or something, and she she just she bought into that whole thing and you know, <laughs> after the vampires were done devouring her and playing soccer with her corpse, then the te- the MHRI team was allowed to go in and clean
1: house. We uh there's a line actually in the second book um where Owen says in real life vampires only sparkle when they're on fire.
0: <laughs> um that needs to be a bumper sticker. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've kinda, I've kinda, I think I kind of came along in time for my career to ride the anti-Twilight backlash. <laughs> you know, I write, I write you, know, you know, monsters, they don't want to date you. They want to eat you. You know, they're monsters. If a monster is, you know, sexy or attractive, it's because it's better to take advantage of their prey. And I, and I compare them to kind of, you know, those lantern fish at the bottom of the ocean. They have a light on their head. You know, it's attractive to other fish, and then it eats them. That's kind of how I look at it. I I like to have monstrous monsters. I I, I like to have actually villainous villains and not just, you know, misunderstand, misunderstood teen heartthrobs. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, a lot of people got turned off of reading for a while because that's all there was. Mm -hmm. It it just was kind of like, just got, you know, science fiction. I know you guys like sci-fi. You know, sci-fi for a while it got really heavy handed kind of was taken over by like message fiction, you know, or it wasn't fun sci-fi anymore. It was like, it was sci-fi that had to preach about something. And so it got really heavy handed. And so a lot of people kind of fell away from sci-fi cause it lost that element of fun. And, uh, I-, I like having the fun. I, I, am all about, you know, my job is to entertain people and, you know, and and make them read an 800 page book in three days, you know, that, that's what I'm going for.
0: Well, I love how it worked for you, too, because, I mean, if you take all the... Uh, we hear this all the time in every industry, but a lot of different people we've, we've interviewed have all said the same thing, but, you know, there's the old conventions. You don't have a... Uh, you, you have a main character who describes himself as ugly. Uh, you have really horrible monsters and people who don't really care about killing them in the most gruesome way possible. Y- you have people who joke about death. You kill off many loved <laughs> characters only to bring them back, almost to kill them again. Sorry, Zahner, you haven't gotten to that point yet. I told you you should have read last night.
2: I, I did. I fell asleep.
0: <laughs> but it's like, you you basically give the finger to every single feel-good convention there is.
2: I do. And,
1: and it's still so good. I do. I There's things that sometimes I, I do just... Like I said, I, I live my life based on spite. <laughs> when someone says you can't do something... You know, I, it makes me want to do it more just to prove you can. My biggest thing as a writer is um, I, people always ask, what are the rules of writing? And the thing is, being, write, or being a good writer, there's no checklist. And, and part of the problem is, you know, you get these college English professors teaching creative writing or these high school teachers. and They're teaching creative writing, but they've never actually written anything. They don't know how to entertain people, but they have these checklists. And it's like you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you have to do this, and you have. And so everybody writes according to the checklist because that's how college taught them. And so it just kind of turns into the same drivel every time. So when somebody tells me, "Well, you can't have Deus Ex Machina in a book," I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I'm going
2: to do it twice and uh, <laughs> and pull it off." Hey, it worked and... for Stargate. Now, <laughs> now correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, but you're you're. Uh... trained as an accountant by profession is that correct yeah that's what i that's what i started that's my that was my professional career and so you don't have that whole formal training in the checklist then so you're just kind of out there (laughs) doing what you want i love that
1: synthesis of classically trained in english i love Um, that i i squeaked through high school english hating it i mean i was a voracious reader i grew up in a little small town uh in the middle of nowhere el nido california um population like 400 people I, I read every single book in our little library when I was a kid. And so by the time I got to high school, I was really well read. And I had read tons and tons of fiction. I mean, I was I, I was a little kid. I, I read Dune when I was eight. Um, when I was in high school, I discovered Dragonlance. And I read all, you know, 30 of them. <laughs> they were out at the time. I, I, you know, I read Star Wars novels back then when Timothy's on first came out with those. And, you know, I just devoured this stuff. I, I read Which I'd like books. to say I think his were the best. I, I agree. Still, I, I agree. And uh, he's a great writer anyway. And so I, I do all this stuff and, and I get to high school and they, you know, they make you read all this stuff, you know, the classics. Well, here's the thing. I love Moby Dick now as an adult. I think it's a brilliant work. You don't make a 14-year-old read Moby Dick and then talk about it for three months. And then they wonder why Americans don't read as much as other countries. And how come Americans don't read as much as we used to? I honestly think it's because high school English beats the love of reading out of you. Because it's like, well, let's read this book and then analyze the meaning for months. What did the author mean? Well, I think the author just wanted to get paid.
0: Yeah, well, it doesn't help a lot of times, and I say this, and if ever I have any of my old English teachers listening, I apologize, but in a lot of cases, the English teachers don't understand it themselves.
1: Oh, no, no, but let me give you an example. I have a friend, uh, John Brown. He's an excellent fantasy author. John is an amazing author. John is a better author than I am, as far as just the craft of writing. He puts tons of thought into every word. The guy's brilliant. So John, one time, gets contacted by this English teacher who wants John to come in and speak to uh, his uh, creative writing class. And um, John's like, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And the author goes, okay, I've got your first novel here, and I read it. What's the meaning? What's the, what's the hidden meaning behind the book? And John goes, uh, well, it's a fantasy novel. It's about this, this, this. he goes, no, no, no. What's the hidden meaning? What does it really mean? And John's like, well, it's a, it's a book, and it's about this. No, no, no. And then and the finally, the guy says, well, you know what? It's okay. You don't need to come. Because there is no, for most books, we're just telling a story. And so the you get these people looking for deeper meaning when there's not one.
0: That's when you that's when you actually flip it around. What did you take from it? And then you then you just use up their entire time with letting them talk about
1: whatever. It's one of those things. It's it's the only place that Freudian psychology is still valid is in college English classrooms.
2: Do you ever just make crap up? Someone asks you what the deeper meaning (laughs) is, and just make it up. Just start going off. It's the the perversion of Christianity
0: with the.
1: with commercial I had, su- success. I have had where people are like, well, it seems like you have a theme of this and this and this. And I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's totally what I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, now, glad, I, I'm glad you saw that. <laughs> now, I, well, I know that, this, The only hidden hidden theme in Monster Hunter, I don't know if you guys have caught this yet, but if you, especially if you look at the very first book, when I wrote this, you'll notice that every single character... Fits uh, one of the tropes um, of a of a, of a yes. horror character. Yes. That's you, how they all start out.
0: Like, okay, we have the uh, we have the gun nut. We have the black guy, the token black guy. Yep, we have the
1: black guy. You have the smart Asian guy. Smart Asian who, who keeps getting shot. Thank you. <laughs> morally, well, Lee is a stud though. <laughs> morally ambivalent. The uh, hot blonde chick. The stripper. Uh, yeah. Lee is the sexy librarian type, where he starts out kind of stodgy with the hair up in a bun, and by the end, you know, you're a rip hot tank top kind of thing. Uh, Milo's the mad genius. Earl's the grizzled vet. Um, Mordecai is the, um, the, the wise spiritual mentor who doesn't speak good English. Kind of catching a trend here yet. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I was like, wow, I'm watching a Joss Whedon thing happen here. Well, it is. And, And so everything I did, I set out to write these character, you know, horror movie character archetypes, but I tried to flip them and make them into real people. And, um, and so what happened is, is a lot of people they read the books, and they don't even realize that that's how it is. I'm the, that's what I did on purpose. And uh, I've had just oodles of fun with
0: that. It's okay. No no, no hard feelings. I'm Asian. We do all play violin. We all love math, and we all get shot first. I Okay, let me tell you a story. I don't my know one, what it is. It's all true.
1: A uh, good friend of mine is this uh, fellow named Jeff, um, and Jeff is um, Jeff is Chinese, and uh, just, just a great guy. And um, uh, plays the banjo, actually. Um, as he was growing up, his mom made his mom made him and his sister learn to play the violin, and uh, Jeff kind of rebelled, so he's now a master banjo player. <laughs> just just to rebel against the stereotype of you learned violin as a kid.
0: He's like that starburst Scottish Scottish Korean, yeah. <laughs> Love it.
1: I'll show you, Mom. I'm going to rebel. <laughs> and Joe. and I, Now I have to email Jeff and tell him to listen to this podcast.
0: Well, you should email <laughs> everyone you
1: know. We're the
0: greatest podcast in the world. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, man, I'll, pl- I'll plug the heck out of this tomorrow morning.
2: <laughs> well, uh, the- well I, I, there, there was a lot of... Um, backlash at one point against the Harry Potter novel saying, oh, well, they promote witchcraft, and we can't have kids reading this because it's going to make them all devil worshippers, and, and crap like that. Did you ever Do you ever get any of that with your books? or?
1: I, I haven't really, but I think part of it is because I don't write for kids, so I don't run into that whole uptight do-gooder audience. You know, it might also have to be with the fact
0: that as Americans, we don't want our kids turning to witchcraft, but it's perfectly okay if they turn to fully automatic weapons.
1: I know, like, in this book is like, what am I, like, it's like, oh no, they're going to turn to accounting and heavy metal. <laughs> hey, listen, hug
0: the pig, okay, hug the pig.
1: <laughs> you know, I actually had somebody compose a, compose a version of that. A nice. Book, Eddie. Yeah, and um, you haven't got to the, the fourth book in the series yet, but uh, Owen's, well, third, or second book of the series, Owen's brother is in it, and then he's in the fourth book of the series, too, so.
0: Oh, nice, so Skippy finally gets to meet him.
1: Oh, man, yeah, and it's like the greatest day ever for Skippy.
0: (laughs) Skippy rocks. Skippy's the man, kind of, not really.
1: There's there's actually a lot of orc stuff in uh, in book two, and then book four. uh, I've had a lot of people say that Edward, the orc, steals the show in in book four. Ed Ed is is so hilarious in that book. Um, For a dude who doesn't talk... He gets the best lines.
0: Ed, I, I, and I, again, I've only read the first one, but just what I little un- I know of Ed is like he watched way too much GI Joe.
1: Oh man, you yeah, know? <laughs> Ed, Ed channels Snake Eyes.
0: No, and I actually want to touch on that here real shortly.
1: I was oh yeah, of conf-
0: I, And I was kind of confused. No, not GI Joe, but I was kind of confused when first we meet the elves, and they're basically white trash reservationists. The government <laughs> has shoved them onto a reservation and Indeed. given them a welfare check. To not do elven things.
1: What happened was. um, I was working on a book one night. And my wife was reading a fantasy novel. And she just chucked it on the ground. And she's like. Oh this is just so annoying. I'm like what's going on? She's like well. Elves are always the same. Every book. Elves are always magical. And long lived. And live in the forest. And they're one with nature. And they're beautiful. And blah blah blah. Just once. I'd like elves to be different. Yeah in your book. Elves are pretty much Honey Boo Boo's family. They are. (laughs) Well, and, and so my wife's like, well, why can't they just? Why can't we have like redneck elves? And I'm sitting there typing, and like this light bulb went on over my head. I was like, huh? <laughs> well, I used to live in Alabama and Mississippi, and so I I I love the South. I I love I I love the South. It's a, it's a fun fun place. And so um, when she said that, I, I've known a lot of 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 the elves basically in my life, and so. <laughs> I had to write. I had to write the Enchanted Forest Trailer Park. I, was-
0: I, I just, yeah, I just love the. I'd love to hear the Elven Queen say, you know, you better redneck. What what, what is it that Honey Boo Boo's mom says? Rednecked ties or whatever it is. I, I have, have never no actually
1: watched that, so I don't know.
0: Don't don't. That is that show <laughs> is exactly how the rest of the world sees them. All Americans. It's so sad. It's so sad. But you know, you have that, and then on the flip side, you have the awesome orcs. Yeah, that, that everyone that, wants to be friends with.
1: Well, and once I once I did once I did elves, it's pretty much I had to do orcs, and I was like, okay, so if elves are you know modern day trailer trash, what you know what would I do with modern day orcs? And it was heavy metal was so obvious, um, I just had to do it. And then because of that first book, I mean, in the second book, everyone was like, well, what are you going to do? What what fairy tale creatures are you going to do this time? Well, it's like, well, crud! I totally have to do it now. And so in second book, um, I actually have gnomes. Um, who are gangster gnomes? You know, the Zina. gangster
0: rap ones from Alabama.
1: Yeah, they are. Yes. And, and uh, you know, red hat, blue hat is uh, is West Coast, East Coast. And they the thing is, I, I write this and it sounds all goofy, but man, when you read the scene, they're scary little buggers. And one of the greatest, funniest sequences in all of the Monster Hunter universe is a fist fight between Owen, uh, between Z and ten gnomes. <laughs> it is just so it's so horrible and awesome. And then also in the second book, I had trolls. Who are I actual trolls? trolls. Uh, internet trolls. Uh, yeah, trolls, yeah. they used to hang out under the bridges, and now they just kind of hang out on the Internet, being sleazy. <laughs> and, uh, and so in the third, uh, I, you know, I had to keep doing this, third book is hard because the whole book, it, it's an Earl Harbinger book, so it, it's kind of a standalone. But the whole book takes place in 24 hours in northern Michigan. So it's like, well, how are you going to introduce fairy tale creatures? There was scene, sequences that were flashbacks, so I introduced a minotaur. Only he's from Texas, so he's not a Minotaur because that's Greek. He's a bull man. He's a Texas bull man, and his name's Travis Alamo Sam Houston. And so he's every stereotype about Texas. And uh, <laughs> I love Travis. And in the fourth book, I actually do the same thing. I finally, you know, spoiler alert: if you see the cover, there's a there's dragons in it. So I finally get to do dragons. And I won't say too much because a lot of people haven't read the fourth book yet. Um, but I introduced dragons. And one of the questions was, you know, how am I going to twist this into a modern world? If you look at dragons, they're always sitting on top of their big hoard of gold and collecting stuff. So this dragon is a hoarder, and um,
0: like from TLC's hoarding emergencies or whatnot.
1: Yeah, only it's a it's a you know lizard the size of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have a, I have a lot of fun with Twist twisting the tropes. Now you mentioned earlier Snake Eyes and GI Joe. I just got to say, I don't know. Do you guys know that I I, I mentioned this? I, I actually am in the GI Joe comic book right now. Are really? you re- really? For real, I I kid you not, I am, if you pick up any of the G.I. Joes right now that are from IDW, uh, the ones that are being written by Chuck Dixon, uh, I am the G.I. Joe Spreadsheet. I kid you not. You open it up, look at Spreadsheet, that is me. I am a character in the comic book.
0: He's a combat accountant.
1: Yes. Because... I, I am, I, I don't know, man, it was, I was talking to the, the writer of the comic book one day, um, and it turns out we're mutual fans, because he used to write Batman, and he used to write The Punisher, and I, I've been familiar with his work for a really long time, and he likes my novels, and we were talking one time, and he's like, hey, wait a minute, you're an accountant, right? I'm like, yeah, he's like, I need an accountant, send me some pictures. I I have a freaking picture right here, it's
0: you.
2: That is awesome. Now you can die happy. I, I'm a big, I'm a big comic nerd. So and, and I love Chuck Dixon. So oh, I mean, Chuck
1: is just just awesome. stud. He's such a good writer. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, he's got a Kickstarter going on right now too for a book. Uh, him and Graham Nolan are doing a book called, a um, uh, graphic novel called Joe Frankenstein. well uh, so actually, not a Kickstarter. His, his is an Indie Go Go. But if you, but yeah, Chuck's got that. So I'll plug. I'll plug my friend here. But yeah, check out Chuck's uh, Chuck's project too. if you're if you're a comic fan, you'll you'll think it's pretty awesome.
0: I am in awe of your geek cred here, my friend.
1: Well, my, my <laughs>
0: <So> are you
2: <laughs> going to get an action figure?
1: Uh, no action figure yet, but I actually make my own. Believe it or not, because I, I am that nerdy.
0: Nice. Now we're running up here on an hour, so I want to I want to move on quickly uh, and touch briefly on you. You have kind of a, a Christmas tradition on your site.
1: Oh yeah, the Christmas noun.
0: I, um, I love this.
1: Well, yeah, every year we do a big I do a big Christmas story it's four years now it's been a tradition, and it all started because there was you know the Christmas jars and the Christmas box and the christmas sweater
0: i, I should I should clarify to our listeners because we have listeners worldwide um Larry here is a local for us he's he's also here in Utah, and I don't know if these books make a huge impact in the rest of the world. But we have all these stupid books that come out every year. <laughs>
1: it's so cheesy.
0: The Christmas <laughs> Match, The Christmas Yugo, The Christmas Jar. Actually, I think that's a real title. Yeah, The Christmas Jars was a New York Times bestseller. It's, <laughs> and it, all it is, it's the Christmas formulaic noun here.
1: And it's always a heartwarming story of redemption. And so I decided I was going to have fun with that. And so I started the series called The Christmas Noun. You know, so you can just insert whatever noun you want. And it starts out as like, you know, the heart heartwarming but extremely badly written Christmas story.
0: Oh, it is it's worse than a Richard Castle book.
1: Oh man, I make it so horrible. I it's all my purposefully like the worst writing I can possibly do, crammed into one story. And I have so much fun of, and it just spirals out of control. And so it starts off as the heartwarming Christmas story. But by the end, you know, you've got zombie apocalypse and Cthulhu. And, I think you know, I think at one reindeer. point Tim,
0: Timmy had to save uh, Santa from the Nega Santa. And, and I love this little synopsis. It is a tale of forgiveness, redemption, love, and black tiger kung fu. And it's like, oh, why isn't this a real book? Why
1: can't we make you like know,
0: a an ABC I Family would, special of this?
1: It would be the greatest Christmas story ever. Indeed. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with those. Last year, and last year, and every year they're kind of topical, so last year was uh, Occupy Christmas Noun, um, yeah, let's see, okay. and then Christmas Noun 3D, the gritty reboot. I, I love Christmas Noun
0: 2, the noun-ining. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's always Tim,
0: young Tim. Young Tim, yeah. and yeah. Y- Okay, so if you haven't yet gone to his to the Monster Hunter Nation site, you should. Especially and go back through the archives because you can find excerpts from chapters that are out of order. So you only get like a paragraph here or there and they're the <laughs> worst they're the very worst paragraphs you could ever find of any book.
1: Oh uh, I love it. it. Al- yeah go it. to the best of tab. all the Christmas nouns oh. are under the best of tab and there's another thing that's like the Christmas Down that's absurd and badly written and awesome called uh, The Adventures of Tom Stranger, interdimensional insurance agent.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, nice!
1: Very
0: cool. I love it.
1: Because you're in strange hands with stranger and stranger.
2: <laughs> that All sounds right. like it should be a television show. I, or I immediately
0: went to cousin Larry and Balky.
1: He's uh, <laughs> actually uh, cousin uh, cousin Larry, uh, Balky Bartokamus. <laughs> uh, Bronson Pinchot is my narrator on my hard magic and spellbound, my Grimnoir Chronicles audiobooks. Um he's a brilliant narrator and actually we won the audio award last year for best uh, fantasy audio book.
0: Bronson Pinchot. There's yep. a name I haven't heard for a long time.
1: He is such a good narrator. That's what he's doing now. He's amazing.
0: Well, he can do it with his voices. He's amazing, yeah.
1: Yeah, we were actually uh, uh, for hard magic, he did such a good job. We were actually up for he was up for best actor for all audio books with uh, one of my books. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah, That's and then awesome. we and so then we won best fantasy for the same for the same book that's hard magic. And that's a that's a great book. That's a that's an awesome book. Wow. I'm really proud of that one.
0: I it, I, I absolutely hate doing this cuz we're up on an hour here and and I'm having so much fun talking to you. We do have to we have we have to come to a close. But where can people find you? Where can people we have monster hunter nation just search for it. It's actually larrykorea.wordpress.com is that correct? Yeah, that's correct okay uh,
1: ch- check out check out my blog check out the kickstarter right now um, and, and, and we're having a lot of fun with that that's an awesome project and my books are available in stores everywhere um, if you want to um, get the ebooks you need to go to bayen.com b-a-e-n that's my publishing house
0: okay we'll have a link to it in the show notes again monster hunter legion book four in the monster hunter series just released beginning of september go out if you haven't read the other ones pick them up and then pick up monster hunter legion you won't be sorry so, until next time, Larry, again, it's been an honor talking to you. You've been absolutely epic. So, we do appreciate you here on, this, on the show.
1: Well, thanks, guys. I, I thank you for having me on.
0: All right. Until next time, this has been Soul and Droids Presents.